All right. Well, as I mentioned, the series, Timeless, is really looking at Proverbs from around the world and how they are revealed by God in the scriptures. And today we're talking about what goes around comes around. And I bet all of us have stories of when we've reaped what we've sown. And I I did this one other time several years ago, and a couple of the college students have brought it up a few times since, so I thought I'd try it again today. This is a complete experiment and may not work at all, but we'll try it. These are some of my journals from 1988 all the way to 2011. And rather than me just telling stories of times when I made a foolish mistake and the terrible consequences that came from it, we have lots of different options here in my journals. And so what I wanted to do, kind of a choose-your-own-adventure message, uh, just I need someone to shout out a year between 1988 and 2011. 1980, uh, 2006. 2006. Okay, I heard, I heard 2001. Uh, okay, now give me a month. September 2001, and now a day. September 9th, 2001. You guys know that's like two days before one of the greatest tragedies our country has ever experienced. What was I doing two days before 9-11? September 9th, 2001. All right, now I didn't write in my journal every single day, so I'll pick whatever's closest. There is an entry on September 10th. Uh, let's see. Okay, it starts off strong. Lord, forgive me for my disobedience. Okay. Last week and this morning, I felt called by you to make getting up at 6 a.m. a priority. Okay, shoo. To spend time with you, to work out, and to begin writing writing a book. Once my throat started hurt, I began to sleep in and ironically stayed up late watching TV. I found myself caught in the same pattern of sin as before when I became lethargic, melancholy, and even irritable practically instigating a fight over traveling calls. I can't read my own writing. Oh, uh, that's right. Traveling calls with David Nesbitt. Okay, I'll tell you the story of David Nesbitt. All right. So this is a good reaping what you sow story. So we're playing basketball. Uh, By the way, the consequences, reaping what you've sown is what we're talking about. The consequences of playing basketball several times a week on concrete for several years was I had back surgery when I was 38. So that was one thing that happened. But David Nesbitt was kind of a hothead. You ever play basketball with someone who's uh, kind of a hothead? Nobody? Okay, just me. Uh, Maybe you are that hothead. I don't know. So I'm playing basketball with David, and he gets really frustrated really easy and it's really easy to get under his skin. And so, uh, and if you can get under his skin, suddenly he's not guarding you quite as tight. He's actually way more aggressive and it's easier to get around him. So I kind of just antagonized him a little bit. And maybe I should have apologized in there for that. Uh, I actually started to, to uh, say, hey, I think you fouled me on that one. I think you fouled me on that one. Shut up, man. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. You know, and we just kept going at it. And eventually... I, I said something along the lines of, if you played as well as you talked, maybe this would have gone better for you. Now, this is all amongst friends. I sat out the next game, and he got into a fight with our senior pastor, like shoving him. And I just thought, I think I may have contributed to that. I may have been... I got him so fired up, but he exploded on the wrong person. 
That was the last day David Nesbitt ever played basketball with us and seen. All right, let's, 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 we have time for another one. Let's try another one. All right? Give me a year, 1988 to 2011. Okay, 88. I heard 88. Somebody give me a month. March of 88. Okay, started in July of 88. So let's go between July and December. All right, we're going December. Now, I should warn you, this is before I was really following Jesus. Okay. My journal in these days were not prayer requests. They were not confessions. They, uh, I'm only be willing to do this because the statute of limitations is uh, far exceeded 1988. Uh, but I, I, these are ridiculous. Uh, I would write down how much I spent every day. I would write down what I wore. And then I would write down ridiculous, stupid stuff 16-year-olds do. All right, uh, give me a, uh, a number between 1 and 31. And 18. Okay. Uh, this is kind of a boring one. Let me just start. Uh, let me try this. I got up at 6.30 and left for Marble Falls. So I used to live in Dallas, Fort Worth at this time, Bedford. We all had lunch in Kyle with Grandpa Parks, who, by the way, was the justice of the peace in, in, in Kyle back when it was a, a one-light town. I came to the lake and played with kids and had a good time. I think those kids are my cousins. I practiced my trumpet three times. December 18th, I was, I was awakened at 7.30. We had our Christmas. I got great gifts, tapes, sweaters. Guys, no tapes, cassette tapes. Uh, most left by the afternoon, practiced my trumpet. December 19th, I spent $6.40. Uh, we got up at 7.30 and left for home. We got home about 12.30. I got a letter from Rhonda. I don't even remember who that is. <laughs> saying... Saying she is moving to Bedford, I worked two to eight, by the way, this is years before I met my wife. Um, I worked two to eight after practicing. I watched TV and worked on presents and talked to Lisa and Craig. Oh, there's two girls in there. Okay. All right. So there's a different time, different era. I was not following Jesus. I was trying to find the right girl. So I'll give you a story out of that. I'll give you a positive and a negative. Uh, what do you want first? <laughs> All right, we'll go negative. All right, so my parents had a rule for me. In order for me to use my car, which, by the way, I paid for by myself. <laughs> I, I paid for it because I, in eighth grade, uh, basically saved my lunch money every single day. Uh, and then I had a, 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 what do you call that, newspaper route. And so I took that money and I was able to buy a $500 car. My trumpet cost more than my car. And, but my rule was I was not allowed to use my car unless I had a date. Because what they didn't want for me to do is to drive around with all my buddies. Which, if you'd picked a few other dates in here, uh, you would have heard some of those stories. I don't know why we like to throw toilet paper in people's yards, we like to throw uh, jumping jacks and other things that are flammable, flammable and exploded in neighbors' yards. And what's funny is, even when I was looking at this the other day, I, my curfew sometimes on the weeknight was 10. So that means we were going out doing stupid stuff like in the twilight hours when people could still see you. I don't know what was going through my head. Um, but in the, in the process of that, basically there was this, this um, I forgot what I was talking about. The dates? Oh, yes. So I had to go on different dates with different, uh, in order to use my car. So I'd go on a date on a Friday night and then I could use my car all weekend. Because my parents knew I was so shy that I wouldn't do anything stupid with these girls. I would only get into trouble with the guys. 
And, uh, and they, were, they were right. There was some wisdom in there. Uh, but what did do for me was I did not mind getting rejected, asking a girl out, uh, because I just wanted to use my car. It, wasn't, it really wasn't personal. <laughs> and so I gained a great deal of confidence. Hey, you want to go out? Nope, that's okay. Let me try her. And, uh, <laughs> and so, so I really do think it got me past my uh, nervousness. And so I guess that turned into a positive. Uh, but I will tell you this, that I do think I had an unhealthy... Uh, understanding of what it meant to date, which, by the way, is kind of an American version of finding the right person. Uh, there, there, there are things that happen in my dating life that I regret. And the beauty of God's grace and forgiveness and a, and a wife who um, really just extended all that same sort of thing, grace and forgiveness to me, really helped me. But I will tell you that if you take the lives of other people uh, cav- with cavalierly, if that's a word, as I kind of did, you actually uh, can reap what you sow and that others might treat you the same. Uh, the more positive is I, I, I was surprised that I was practicing my trumpet so much, uh, but eventually I actually ended up getting uh, going into my senior year of high school. I got... Uh, I became a drum major, which is, we were the guys that would conduct the band, and I got second chair in the first band, which is kind of a miracle because I really wasn't very good. Uh, but what happened is we had to sight read. If you don't know what that means, they literally give you a piece of music you've never seen before, and during the tryouts, the band directors are not facing you. They're, they're, their back is to you. I honestly think the guy who was really much, much better, uh, they thought was me. And, but he did so poorly because it was so hot and steamy in that room, and he had glasses, and his, he was trying to play and push his glasses up. So I think they thought that was me because he was so bad. Anyway, I got, I got second chair for practicing. So if you practice, it makes perfect. All right. So those are a couple stories. I hope they're inspiring. <laughs> but let me just say this. I could go through so many moments in my life And I know you could do the same, where we made decisions that we could look back on and regret. The consequences of those decisions had a lasting effect. And certainly there were times in our life where we wouldn't make those same decisions now. We we lacked a level of maturity. We, We weren't thinking things through. We were too young to understand the possible consequences. We didn't know then what we know now. But the question is, are you making decisions now based on wisdom? Are you making decisions now that could positively affect your future? What goes around comes around, or what the Bible says is, what you reap is what you sow. And what you sow is what you reap. You know, my daughter had this phrase when she was in high school that was really pretty remarkable. I wish I had thought of this when I was her age. But at one point, she explained her decision-making process. And she didn't always make the best of decisions. But she avoided some cataclysmic ones because she always would think, before she made a decision, what would the 25-year-old version of me think about this? Now, when you're 16 years old, that'll slow you down. (laughs) What would the 25-year-old version of me think about this? What would the 55-year-old version of me think about this? Have you ever considered future you and the decisions that might just be easier right now to make? 
could actually affect you negatively later? Do we think through the long-term effects of our decisions? Maybe you felt this in school when you cheated and got caught and paid the consequences or stole something and others were doing so too, but you got caught. Or maybe everybody was drinking and getting drunk or getting high, but for some reason you couldn't stop and fell into addiction. Or maybe you shaved the truth and got fired. See, the problem is when we feel the consequences of our actions, sometimes we actually blame God as if God is punishing us. But God has put laws into motion. Just as there are physical laws, you cannot defy the law of gravity. You can try, but it will always win. You cannot ignore gravity without consequences. And spiritual laws like the law of karma or sowing and reaping cannot just be ignored without consequences. See, God has given us wisdom to guide us because he loves us. And you see God's moral laws in every culture. Listen to this. In Romans 2, it says this. Even when Gentiles, that's basically anyone who's not Jewish, even when Gentiles who do not have God's written law instinctively follow what the law says, they show that in their hearts they know right from wrong. They demonstrate that God's law is written within them. Here's what's fascinating. In all of the world's major religions, you can see evidence of this, that the moral law is written in the hearts of humanity, written by God, who created us in his image. C.S. Lewis, Oxford literary scholar who came to faith later in life, gives a summary of what we call the moral law. You see this throughout the world's religions. One, don't do harm to another human by what you do or say. Jesus referred to this. We call it the golden rule. Honor your father and mother. Be kind towards brothers and sisters, children and the elderly. Four, do not have sex with someone other than your spouse. Five, be honest in all your dealings. Don't steal. Six, do not lie. Seven, care for those weaker or less fortunate. And eight, dying to self is the path to life. Now, there's certainly variations. I mean, the Buddhist eightfold path is even more rigorous morally. And the Ten Commandments have added a first command about putting God first and not letting anything else become an idol around which you order your life. But all religions pretty much agree on these moral laws. And most you will find the law of karma or sowing and reaping. What goes around comes around. Now, people throw that word karma out left and right. But I want to explain briefly what it is and what it isn't and how it relates to the Bible and God's moral law. Karma is not a God. Karma is not just, but karma is just the consequences of your actions. See, karma is a Hindu idea originally. It actually is a Sanskrit word which literally means action. And generally speaking, karma is considered to be a force that promotes cycles of positivity or negativity. In other words, positive thoughts, words, and actions are rewarded by positive consequences. Just as negative thoughts, actions, Words are followed by negative consequences. In this, the most basic form, it is an example of God's moral law written into the hearts of humanity. But there are many variations and distortions of this basic law. Here's what the Bible teaches on this. It's the wisdom of Proverbs 26. If you set a trap for others, you will get caught in it yourself. If you roll a boulder down on others, it will crush you instead. You know, oftentimes when the Bible describes judgment, it's actually describing reaping what you've sown. 
digging a pit for someone else and falling into it yourself. It's receiving what you are wanting. Oftentimes, God's judgment is just simply giving us what we want. Now, as we've been saying, the wisdom of Proverbs are generally true. I mean, if you think about it for a moment, is it always true that if you do something terrible to someone, you'll feel the consequences? Well, sometimes not immediately. I mean, some people get away with murder, literally. But the catch is, not forever. In the New Testament, it says this, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. This is what's called the law of sowing and reaping. It's God telling us of his moral law that if we ignore God's will and his ways, his moral laws, that we should not be surprised if we actually feel the negative consequences. And as we've been saying, this wisdom is generally true. If you plant goodness and kindness toward others, generally you'll reap goodness and kindness back. But sometimes we are persecuted for doing good things. If you plant honesty in your relationships, generally speaking, you'll reap trust and loyalty back. If you're quick to forgive, you might find others quick to forgive you. But if you're reluctant to forgive, you might find others holding bitterness towards you. John Burke tells a story about his dad, who was an engineer and was trying to kind of make the engineering corporate feel a little less sterile. So he brought in some potted plants. And they were supposed to grow these Texas stars, but he was unaware that there were a few other guys that worked with him that had somehow planted cannabis. <laughs> and so when these Texas stars came out and marijuana plants, it was not what he was expecting to come out of his potted plants. See, wisdom is generally true, but because we live in a lost, broken world, sometimes evil people plant extortion and corruption and actually get rich out of it. And it might even seem like they're going to get away with it, but Jesus said that, one day, we will all give personal account to God. And if we do the good that we're invited to do, called to do, we will be rewarded for it. On the positive side, Jesus reiterated the law of love as a positive command. He said this in Matthew 7. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. If you do this, you are fulfilling the point of all other moral laws. This is what love does. If you can simplify all of the Hebrew scriptures with these two commands, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. God is inviting us to live with that framework. Is the decision I'm making showing God love? Is the decision I'm making a way to love my neighbor? Those are two of the easiest questions to ask yourself before making any decision. Now, this is the basic idea of sowing and reaping in the scriptures, but we need to go a little bit deeper into the Eastern culture of karma because it goes further. It goes beyond what we're talking about. See, karma can actually be a brutal doctrine to live out. The Eastern idea of karma gets tied to another doctrine that is not aligned with the scriptures. It's the word samsara. It's the cycle of death and rebirth. It's this idea of a transmigration of the soul, a reincarnation from one life to the next. 
And this idea of karma means that you'll either pay for the bad or be rewarded for the good in this life, in the next life. This is a brutal idea to live under. We all make mistakes. We all sin. We all have issues. We all suffer. Yet if this is true, according to this, then you deserve any suffering you experience. In fact, you deserve it, and it's a consequence of something in a past life that you don't even know about or even remember. So if you can't remember, then how can you even improve? And if you've been cycling through thousands of lives, I don't know about you, but I don't see a lot of people around me evolving towards no bad karma very quickly. And if you really believe this, then tragically, the impoverished, the diseased, the starving, they actually would deserve the suffering. So there's no need to help them. They have to work off their bad karma. Now, you might think this is a harsh overstatement, but I had a chance to go to India a year ago for the first time in my life. And I saw this in very real ways. Perhaps you've heard us talk about Jaya. Jaya, many years ago, started a ministry working with those who have no home, those who have no parents. They also opened a hospital that we helped build that delivered 1,000 babies last year. And so they have this ministry helping moms have babies in a healthy, con- in a healthy place in a village of 500,000 people where there is no, there is no, um, along the curb is the refuse. There is no sewage. And they also have not only an orphanage, but a school. They also have a, a training place for women so that they can have jobs instead of prostitution. They also have an folks, old folks' home for people to live. It's just this remarkable thing. But I think maybe the most remarkable thing they've done is they've adopted children. Little twins, babies, were left without a mother and father because of a car wreck. And no one would adopt them because they believe that these two must have bad karma. But because Jaya had become a follower of Jesus, along with his wife, Lakshmi, they follow the ways of Jesus, which is to look out for those who have less, to care for those in need, and so they adopted these two. I shared a meal with these two several times throughout the week, and I was asking them, who's most famous you know, who, who are the bands that teenagers your age are about 16, 17 years old now? And they gave me four, five different K-pop bands I'd never heard of, except for BTS. <laughs> See, because of Jesus, it completely changed their perspective. In fact, I interviewed Jaya just a month before he passed away. Sadly, last year we lost him. But his life was such a, a beautiful thing. And in his story of coming to faith, it was really remarkable. Jaya was seeking God, and he was reading in the Vedas about a God of light, a God of light who would actually come and die to take away the effects of karma. And so he was looking for this God of light until one day he had a vision of a God of light who revealed himself as Jesus. And it changed his life, changed the trajectory of his life. And that's the big difference with what the Bible teaches about what Jesus did for all of humanity 
and most moral and religious law, which says if you do enough good that outweighs the bad, then you'll go to heaven or you'll reach nirvana or you'll experience enlightenment. But we all intrinsically, I think, deep down know that cannot be possible. I mean, imagine if you had a giant bowl and for every good deed, you could crack open an egg and it's perfect. It's going to be delicious after it's cooked. But with every bad deed, you get a rotten egg and it too is cracked and put into the omelet. Would you want to eat that omelet with a mixture of all the good and all the rotten? Man, I had food poisoning last week. I do not recommend it. <laughs> I mean, how many good things do we need to outweigh the bad? See, the beauty of what the message of the scriptures is, is this. None of us, none of us can do enough good to reach God, but here's the beauty. We don't have to reach out to him. He's come for us, and his name is Jesus. You see, Jesus offers us a way to expunge the rottenness from our life. He willingly took upon himself the sins, the evil choices of humanity, and he offers us grace and forgiveness when we ask. Listen to this in Ephesians 2. One of the most beautiful passages in the scripture, one I highly recommend you memorize, says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Saved means set right with God that we actually choose to trust what God did for us through Jesus. And we begin to realize that we want to do good deeds out of gratitude for what he's done for us. We're not doing good deeds so we're not getting punished. We're not doing good deeds in order to get to him. He came to us. He gives us life, spiritual life. We are made new And even before that, though, listen to what he calls us, a masterpiece. You were created in the image of God, created on purpose, with a purpose, and he sees you as a masterpiece, not because of the good things you've done, but just because of who you are, but he has really good things for you to do. He's inviting you to join him in a mission of experiencing life and freedom and bringing that life and freedom to others. There's a reality to sowing and reaping. We cannot mock God saying, I can do whatever I want and there won't be consequences. Even when we're forgiven by God, right related to God forever, there's still the law of sowing and reaping. And we have to remember, it's not God doing this to us. It's the consequences of what we've done. Somewhere in here is a story of me meeting with a mom and her 16-year-old daughter who was pregnant. And I remember in that conversation, the 16-year-old with tears in her eyes said, I don't know how this happened. And I remember thinking as a young youth pastor, do I need to explain how this happened? (laughs) Uh, That's not, she knew how it happened. What she meant is, why did this happen? It's important that we understand what the scriptures say 
Galatians 6, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from the sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Have you accepted God's gift of salvation? Salvation from bad karma, from your sins, the choices you've made of doing things your own way. If not today, that could be your next step. All you have to do is say, God, I need what you did for me. What Jesus did on the cross to count for me. Forgive me. Lead me. And here's the beautiful thing. It's not a a matter of mustering up the courage to do the right thing. His spirit actually comes to live within us and empowers us and enables us to make the right choices. And the beauty of being a part of a community is that we have others helping us, helping us in the right way. If you've not already found your group for the spring, I want to encourage you to do that. We want to help you do that. Just fill out the Connect card or go to the Connect spot or even send me an email of what you're looking for. I'm happy to help you get connected. I'll give you a a couple of real quick, tangible examples. If you're an entrepreneur, we have an entrepreneur's group right after this in room E2. Just for 30 minutes, get to know others who have started a business. And together, we're trying to become more who God wants us to be, even as entrepreneurs. Or if you like movies, this Saturday night, we're going to watch a film called The Days of Wine and Roses and have a Q&A with the son of the screenwriter who actually goes to our church. His name's Monty Miller. It's brought to you by our Restore group. It's really a movie. It's got 100% Rotten Tomatoes, which when does that ever happen? It's in the National Registry list, which means it's a film you need to see. But it's the film that popularized the idea of finding freedom from addiction in our culture. Or perhaps you can join a new community group. Sunday afternoons, we're just taking what we heard and going through digging deeper. Or our men's event coming up. Maybe just committing to a Saturday to be with other men. It's called Motivate. God's Spirit wants to guide you, and we as a church want to help you. And you may be reaping some things that you've sown in your life. And that may be why things are hard right now. But I need you to remember that there is grace. You can experience forgiveness. Because of Jesus, we're not perpetually paying for our mistakes. I've found in my life that sometimes God has actually rescued me from the consequences I deserved. And God has so miraculously moved in my life that sometimes he brings good out of the terrible things that have happened in the past. The band is going to lead a moment of reflection. They're going to play a song, and during the song, I want you to consider what action that God might want you to sow today that you might reap good in your future.